when he, when he went in, the first thing he saw, what you would think when you go into church or when you go into the temple or when you go into the religious place, you would see good things. You would see righteous things. You would see godly things. But instead, what he saw, he saw money changers. He saw people selling and making money in the church, in the temple, in God's house. And when he walked in there, uh, you know, there was a certain element of, of influence that religion had that day, just like it does today. Religion does have influence. But what we find is that the religion that Jesus observed that day had been overpowered by greed. So no matter how righteous and good and beautiful the temple was or the religion was supposed to be, uh, you know, God's people, the religion of, of God Almighty, was supposed to change the world. That's what God had told them way back in the Old Testament, that, that my people will have an influence and be a light in the world. Now, had they obeyed God and had they followed him, that would have perhaps been the case, but they did not because they allowed their, their religion, their belief to be overpowered in this case, by greed. I mean, that's all that was going on there in the temple that day. The Bible says that he went over there, saw it, immediately overturned the tables and ran the money changers out, took a whip, began to drive them out. And he said this, he said, he said, my house, talking about the temple, will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. So no matter how powerful religion is. It's not all-powerful. Religion can be overpowered by something greater. The multitudes can always be overpowered by something greater. The church, the buildings, as beautiful as they are, can absolutely be overpowered. Then we go, we, we read where he was just observing Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem the history of Jerusalem is this. They were the light, the beacon on top of the hill for the world. Jerusalem had always been the place that people would strive to get to and go to. Why? Well, because in Jerusalem, ideally, ideally, it was supposed to be the hill of light. It was God's place. It was the place where... People who loved God went to to find what? They would find safety. They would find sanctuary. They would find security. Well, as Jesus was walking through there, and he looked over Jerusalem, something very unusual occurred. The scriptures say as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. Now, why would you want to weep over something that has so much influence or so much power or, or, you know, so much persuasion. You know, I mean, it was the world knew of Jerusalem. He wept over it because he said, if you had only known Jerusalem on this day, what would have brought you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. And then he said, the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you on every side they will dash you to the ground. 
your children within your walls, and they will not leave one stone on another. This actually happened when Jerusalem was besieged in 70 AD by Titus. The Roman Empire destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, robbed it. So no matter how much influence or power that we, may, we think something may have, we've got to ask the question, is there something more powerful that can override it? Eventually, Jerusalem was overthrown. But then we come to the disciples, friends. I've always said friends don't make good counselors, and there's a good reason why. Um, the disciples loved the Lord, without a doubt. They walked with him for three and a half years. They tried to learn and take in everything. However, what we do know about them is that sometimes they were very, very slow. They just didn't get a lot of things. Nonetheless, the disciples were in a place and in a position to persuade him. You know, the disciples tried to persuade Jesus, first of all, not to go to Jerusalem. You should not go. They tried to persuade him to leave. They tried to persuade him to stay away from all these things. And, you know, had he listened to his disciples, perhaps he would have done differently. But he didn't. Why? Because he also recognizes that the power of friendship or the power of those closest to us, they influence, they move us. And that's not always a bad thing, but it's not always, always the right thing to do. And here is a case where he refused to be persuaded by the power of his friendship. He just was not going to. He was not going to be influenced by what they thought, simply because we know from the Gospels and everything that sometimes the disciples, they had good intention, but they were at the wrong place at the wrong time. Or they tried to do something in a right way, but it ended up not good. So Jesus discriminately understood that as powerful as a relationship is with his disciples. And he pointed that out. He said, you know, you are my, you're my friends, you know, and you have no greater friend in me than me because he said, I'm going to die for you. So he understood the, the impression and the power and the influence of the disciples, yet he refused to be persuaded himself from them because he knew that even they were going to suffer. Let's look at, uh, you know, the disciples. They made great claims, didn't they not? They would go, Thomas said, we'll go to Jerusalem, let's die with him. Peter said, I will die with you even though everyone else will not die. These are great, strong, powerful claims. But yet we know and we read that even the power of their friendship and their intention and their promises were overpowered by something greater. In this case, they were overpowered by the influence of Satan and the influence of evil for them. So Jesus did not persuade or did, was not persuaded by that. He loved them. He knew they loved him. But he was not traveling this road trusting that power. 
Even though they were powers that be, he was not going to. Then you have powers of the experts. Did you know that throughout the scriptures, we find where the so-called experts continually, continually tried to confront the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what they discovered was that Jesus, and I, I think perhaps they made a mistake as they listened to him speak to the fishermen and the farmers and those uh, people who were of common, uh, you know, they were not elevated. They probably thought, well, this, little, this rabbi just does not know very much. Little did they realize that when they began to confront him, that he actually was so way above their pay grade. Here's an example of that. They were talking to him about the resurrection, and they were, these experts, the scribes and everyone, they were talking about, uh, you know, way it was going to be, what God had said, what the law said and everything. Jesus just listened to them. They were the experts. You know, he just showed, he showed respect for a bit. He let them talk. And experts of power love to talk. No matter what it is, it can be anywhere. In this case, it's religion. It's about God. He let them talk. And after they were finished, here's what he said. You must be in error because you do not know the scriptures, nor do you know the power of God. He refused to be persuaded by these experts, the religious experts, because they wanted him to be quiet. They wanted him to, 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 to not say anything different than what they said, but yet he refused to be persuaded by the power that they held. Now, ultimately, they did ha have a power, and it, which we will see uh, as we think about it this week. Their power was such that they were able to actually bring about the death of a righteous man. They were actually able to facilitate false testimony. They had power, no doubt about it. They were able to bring about false witnesses. They were able uh, to bring about a bribe of one of, of one of his disciples. They had power. They had power. But their power that they thought was complete, as we will see next week, was a power that was overpowered by something. All right? So... Throughout this, we see, or at least as I wanted to share with you, I see that, that Jesus made the distinct choice to, to trust only in the power that was absolute, an absolute power. Now, as I said, you know, the multitudes, they were fickle. They changed. We saw, we'll see that within a week. We see that the disciples sometimes... They would do the right thing. Sometimes they would not. The experts, they were ignorant, according to what Jesus said. They didn't know the scriptures, nor did they know the power of God. So he didn't trust them. He didn't trust the temple. He didn't trust religion. He didn't, what exactly did he trust? Well, it kind of begins to come down to it, if you recall, that ultimately Jesus is brought uh, before the government. Pilate. Now, here's what takes place, and this is what's fascinating to me. In all actuality, Pilate said some things that were very, very true 
at face value, prima facie, very true. They brought Jesus to him. Pilate could not hardly find, he, he wasn't able to find any, any fault in him whatsoever. So they brought him back to Pilate to be investigated again. And Pilate was talking to him. And, you know, the Jews were insisting that they had their law and that, he, that this man, Jesus, needs to die. Now, when Pilate heard them saying that, he began to really think, I need to address this, and I need to be very careful because of what they were saying. So he went back into the judgment hall, and he came in front of Jesus, and he asked Jesus this, exactly who are you? He wanted to know, but Jesus gave him no answer. And when Jesus did not answer, here's what Pilate said. Why will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you or to release you? Now, that was true, a true statement. He did have the power to crucify him, which ultimately took place. But he also had the power to release him, which did not take place. Instead, it was Barabbas. They wanted a murderer instead of the Son of God to be released. But what he said was true. He did have that power, but that's, that's not the right question to say, did he have power? The better question is, though he had power, was there a greater power? And of course, we're going to see, because this is what Jesus said to Pilate. You could have no power at all against me unless it was given to you from above. Now that all of a sudden opens up. Who is it that Jesus Christ believes in? Well, I tell you, his heavenly father. Who did he trust his heavenly father? Even though he was close with the disciples, even though the multitudes were saying all kinds of wonderful things, even though the temple had been there for a long time, even though religion was well known all across the world, even though all of these things... Who did Jesus trust? And it was his heavenly father. Why? Because he knew his heavenly father had all power of creation. He knew it. And he lived accordingly. Now, let me underline that statement. He lived accordingly. He lived to the end of his life, believing and trusting that the power of God was sufficient for all things. Had he not believed that, the time to have changed would have been before he was taken to the cross. But he believed it so deeply and so completely that even in his most agonizing hour, he conceded. So it brings me to the garden. Even though there are powers that be, Jesus refused to listen or to be persuaded or influenced by any of them. Instead, he trusted his heavenly father. Here's what happened in the garden. We're very familiar with this story. He asked his disciples to pray. And again, this is one, perhaps one reason he didn't. You know, his disciples, he asked them to pray. They fell asleep. And he had to wake them up three times. You, you, can you not stay awake and pray? But here's what he prayed. And, and this, 
reveals who he trusted. He went a little forward and he fell on the ground and he began to pray, Jesus did. And he said, if it were possible that the hour might pass from him, and here's his prayer. Father, Abba, Father, all things are possible from you. If it's possible, take this cup away from me. However, not what I will, but thy will. Throughout his ministry, as much as there was, as we've seen with all the different variations and people and occasions and everything, Jesus never lost his belief, his trust, and his guide in the power of his heavenly Father. You see, Jesus chose to believe that and to trust it, just like we can choose that. Each one of us have the same choice that we can make, like that Jesus said. We can, we can choose to believe in the power of multitudes, power of many voices, power of majority. We can, we can believe in that. We can believe in the power of our friendship. Maybe our friends know best for what's us. We can believe in the power of religion, all kinds, you know, or church or whatever. But Jesus gave us an example of, of powers that be are not the powers that are ultimate. We all see different things in our lifetime. But Jesus points out that the power of God, his heavenly father, his power is sure. It's trustworthy. It's eternal. It's all-knowing. And God is all wise. So for us, I think this is why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. He says to us, Our faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. If there's anything that we could glean from this today, it would be that. That the power of God is that which is all-powerful. In the Old Testament, we have time and time again where God himself instructs the prophets, whether it's Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Micah, doesn't matter. He instructs them to write these words. And here's what he says. My counsel, God says, shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Jesus Christ knew that the power of God was complete. I think that's why Paul, at the end of his life, was also willing to trust in the power of God when he wrote to Timothy. Paul had had a a great life, and he had been part of various uh, power things in society. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He had sit under Gamaliel. He was, you know, he, he, he understood the power of being a Roman citizen, kept him out of jail for a while. He understood a lot of things, but yet, at the end of his life, like the Lord... He was trusting in the power of God. Here's what he said. Timothy, he said, I'm not ashamed in who I believed in. I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Echoing the words of the Lord, no one can snatch something from my heavenly Father's hand. Oh, that's powerful. And so Jesus... He's getting ready to go to the cross. No matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, 
He is continually trusting his heavenly Father. That's why in closing, I would say this for us today. The scriptures tell us, the psalmist wrote, he says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your words that lift our hearts, enlighten our souls, Lord. And I pray today that we would be able to understand the wonder and beauty of trusting in your power. We know that our Lord set our example, but he also, Lord, believed that it was your power that would resurrect him from the grave. We know that the Lord ultimately in his final breath said, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted you. So today, Lord, may we exhibit that same faith and belief that our faith is not in the wisdom of men, but it is in the power of God in every aspect of our life. And we'll give you thanks in our Lord's name. Amen. Thank you. Let's stand as we have a song, a hymn, an invitation. We can pray. You can pray where you are. Sing, lift up your voice. But as we sing, let this, let this be a, a statement to our heart. There are so many things that declare that they have power, but ultimately it's the power of God, our Heavenly Father, that we need to trust. What page yet? Page 170. We can sing along. As we sing. He does. He does.